Romans 5, verses 15 through 17, these are God's words. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Verse 14 left off by telling us that Adam was a type, was an example of uh, Christ before Christ would come into the world. We heard and thought about this language of type and anti-type uh, last, uh, last midweek. And the Lord Jesus uh, coming into the world as a federal head, federal representative of those for whom he would live, for those for whom he would obey, for those for whom he would die and rise again. That is, all whom the Lord had chosen in him, who had believed in him before he came and who would believe in him after he came, since that is how the Lord Jesus would come into the world as the antitype, the great one of whom Adam was a copy. Adam was a type of him. And so that is emphasizing similarity. Uh, when it describes Adam as a type of him who was to come, it's saying Adam is similar to Jesus. Or to use language that is used here uh, and elsewhere, well, here we have uh, the one man and the other man. Uh, elsewhere we have the first Adam and the last Adam. Uh, Adam, the first Adam, is a type of the last Adam. So the way our passage tonight begins in verses 15 through 17 is actually a little bit surprising. Uh, if you were telling somebody how similar uh, uh, two people were, you would not begin by saying, or might not begin by saying, but they're actually not that similar. Here's the ways that they are not alike. And that's how it begins. But the free gift is not like the offense. And he repeats it in verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. And so in verses 15 through 17 this evening, the Holy Spirit is giving us ways in which Adam and Jesus are different. And then in three weeks time, the next time uh, I will be uh, with you for a midweek meeting. In verses 18 and 19, we will hear how Adam and Jesus are similar. But where this is going is to verse 20, where it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That is the point. That's where he has been going since the all sinned of verse 12. And uh, if you have a copy of 
the New King James, for instance, you see that uh, M dash at the begin at the end of verse twelve. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And then you have this long parenthesis. And the New King James closes the parenthesis after verse 17 because verse 18 begins with a therefore. But verses 18 and 19 are picking up the similarity that was described or started in verse 12. But the conclusion is where sin abounded. So, uh, sin entered the world, death through sin, death spread to all men because all sinned. And the conclusion of that thought is actually in verse 20. Where sin, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Uh, and so last week in verses 12 through 14, we began by hearing or we heard in the sermon as a whole last week how certain it is that we will be saved if we believe in Jesus Christ. How certain it is that you will receive all of the benefits of Jesus if you believe in Jesus. And the answer was, it is as certain as I am a sinner. And it is as certain as I came into this world dead in my sin. Because that happened in one federal head and Jesus is another federal head. And so if I believe in Jesus, if I have him, I am as certain to have God himself. I am as certain to have God's glory. I am as certain to have God's joy as certainly as I am a sinner now and as certainly as I entered this world dead in my trespasses. Well, that was how certain the benefits of Christ are for the believer. This week in verses 15 through 17, we have how abundant the benefits of Christ are for the believer because this is the difference that he makes three times between Adam and Christ once in verse 15 once in verse 16 once in verse 17 is that the benefits of Christ are infinitely more abundant in him than the detriments the sin and the death the sin and the misery and the death that came to us in Adam. So it's not like you have a balanced equation where you have the, the first Adam brought sin and misery and death and uh, exactly contrary to that, uh, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus, has brought in uh, uh, righteousness and uh, life and, uh, and uh, gladness. But what you have is uh, these things entered through the first Adam but that which came from Christ that is opposite is infinitely more abundant. And so he begins by saying, but the free gift is not like the offense. And there are some different conjunctions that can be translated but in uh, the New Testament. This is one of the stronger ones, and it's a happily strong conjunction. He's drawing a, a significant contrast, a sharp contrast now. Before he gets to the similarities in verse 18 and following, he's drawing a sharp contrast. And the three contrasts are these. That in Jesus, goodness superabounds by grace. Uh, the gift of Jesus' 
life and righteousness and goodness superabounds by grace where Adam's offense had abounded. And in verse 16, that justification in Jesus superabounds where condemnation in Adam had merely abounded. And then in verse 17, that life superabounds in Jesus, whereas in Adam, death had merely abounded. So first in verse 15, goodness superabounds in Jesus, where the offense had abounded in Adam. The free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to the many. So here you have the much more language and the abounded language to say that the grace and the gift by the grace that is in Jesus was much more than the, uh, the offense by which the many died. Adam's offense is the offense of a man. Uh, and there's another, uh, there's another imbalance uh, here in uh, the two parts of the, uh, of the verse uh, in verse 15. And see if you can hear it if I read it with a little bit of emphasis. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. So on the one hand, you have the offense of one man. On the other hand, you have the grace of whom? Look at verse 15. Because it actually has two objects, doesn't it? The first time it talks about the grace, it talks about the grace of God. The second time it talks about the grace, it talks about the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And so which is it? Is it God or is it Jesus Christ? Well, the answer, of course, is yes, because Jesus Christ is God. It would actually be blasphemy to talk about the grace of any other man abounding to many. It would be blasphemy to talk about the grace of Jesus abounding to many if Jesus is not God. And so this is uh, part of the greatness. Yes, Jesus is true man. He is the one man, Jesus Christ. But uh, as we heard in the conference, as we heard last week uh, already, and as we see again here tonight, Although Jesus Christ is a true man, just as he is also true God, both natures are united in one divine person. There is not a divine person and a human person. There is one divine person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both God and man. And this is why there is infinitely more goodness for us in Jesus Christ as a divine person than there was offense for us in Adam. Remember what we heard last week, that you ate the forbidden fruit with Adam, that in Adam we sinned and with Adam we died. And so the, by the offense of the one man, many died. We died with him then and there. That's why when we come into this world, 
We died before we existed as we were federally represented in him. That's why when we come into this world, we come in already dead in our trespasses because we were federally represented in Adam when he sinned. And we sinned in him and we died with him. Well, now if the the same but the opposite is true, similar but opposite is true with Jesus, if you are in Jesus when he obeys, and if you were in Jesus when he died on the cross, and you were in Jesus when he rose again from the dead, then the life and the righteousness and the atonement that you have in Jesus isn't just equal in its extent or its greatness to what we received in Adam and what happened to us in Adam. It's infinite. We'll be thinking about this a little bit more when we come to the end of the second point. So that's the first point. That goodness has superabounded in Jesus, whereas the offense uh, only uh, spread to the many uh, in Adam in verse 15. In the second place in verse 16, justification superabounds in Jesus where condemnation uh, had come through Adam. So verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Now, think about this many offenses. Adam's one sin by itself was enough to condemn him to hell. And his wife, of whom he was federal head, and all of his descendants, which include all of us here this evening. And we don't know how many uh, tens or hundreds of billions or perhaps even more who were condemned to hell in the one sin of Adam. Now, it wasn't just the one offense that Jesus has atoned for. Think about the number of people whom Jesus, for whom Jesus died. That great multitude that the scripture tells us is in heaven, an innumerable multitude that is as uncountable as the stars and as uncountable as the sand on the seashore. And every one of them, with a multitude of their own offenses, and every one of them represented in all of their fathers going back to Adam, in all of their offenses. Remember last week why the Lord Jesus had to be born of a virgin. It is an incalculable number. And it's... Continuously increasing even now, isn't it? Even as we sin, the number of offenses and the greatness of the... It's like the national debt. Well, it's more than the national debt if you can imagine that, but you and I can't imagine that. Because we just have no grasp for what $30 trillion is or what the number $30 trillion is or you know, however many hundreds of trillions of unpaid obligations if you... Don't even think about the debt. And continually increasing. But, 
praise God, it's still a finite number. And the many offenses for which Jesus has atoned is still a finite number. Do you know what isn't finite? The righteousness of the Lord Jesus. The atonement of the Lord Jesus. This is why, you know, yes, we, we like the acronym TULIP and it's useful, but we use the word limited. We're not good at making distinctions. So when we say limited and we mean to a specific group of people, uh, we are in danger of hearing limited in quantity or limited in value. And it is not limited in value. Even this incalculable, incalculable, unimaginable many from verse 16 is limited in quantity and limited uh, in, well, each of those is committed against the glory of God. So we'll We'll be careful not to say necessarily limited uh, in value. But listen now, having thought a little bit about what that many means and think about what it is saying about the righteousness and justness of Jesus and the atonement of Jesus. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Think about the infinity of the righteousness of Jesus. And again, it goes back to what we just heard in verse 15, doesn't it? Because just as the grace of Jesus is the grace of God, because he's a divine person. The righteousness of Jesus is the righteousness of God because he's a divine person. Isn't this what we've been hearing since the first chapter and why the apostle isn't ashamed of the gospel? He's going to a church that knows the gospel, is renowned for their faith. What's he going to preach? He's going to preach the gospel. Why aren't you ashamed to preach the gospel when these people already know it? Because... We know it, but we don't know the greatness of it. We've not reached the, the depths of it because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith. And it's the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of a man. Not the righteousness of a creature. Not the righteousness of the highest of the angels. Not the righteousness of some divine-ish being that is between the angels and God, which means is still infinitely short of God. And this is what 2 Corinthians 5 tells you. When you see by faith in the Scripture Jesus Christ on the cross, what you see is Him who knew no sin, made to be sin. Why? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of whom? The righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God through faith in him. 
Now think about that many and think about that justification in verse 16. Which of you have sinned enough that the righteousness of Jesus cannot stand for you? That the atonement, the ransom, the redemption, the payment of the Lord Jesus Christ would not immediately and completely and eternally blot out and wipe away all of your guilt. There is nothing that you or I could have done. He's talking about a whole world of sinners. An uncountable multitude of sinners. And the uncountable multitude of their sins. And he's saying, look at the greaterness of the justification that comes through Jesus by comparison to the condemnation that came through Adam. And that's the justification. That's the righteousness. The right standing before God that is offered to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you not have Him by faith and receive Him as the payment for your sin and all of the righteousness that you would ever need before God? And would you not, just as we thought about last week, about the certainty of the benefits that we have in Christ. Would you not now worship God from all of your heart at the abundance of the benefits that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? There is infinitely more justification in Jesus Christ than there was condemnation in Adam. Well, in the last place, uh, the grace of Christ and his goodness in our, uh, in our place, not just uh, good for those who deserve uh, only punishment or mercy for those who deserve only punishment, but also strength for those who have only weakness, goodness for those who have only badness, the grace uh, superabounding by comparison to the offense. Verse 15, his justification superabounding by comparison to the condemnation. Verse 16, and now his life superabounding by comparison to the death. It's been a hard week and a half or so for those of us who pay attention if you have uh, any compassion at all uh, to think about the tens of thousands who have already perished as a result of the earthquake in Turkey uh, and Syria and the vast majority of them under the darkness of Islam. You think about the great danger to faithful churches uh, and the seven churches of Asia Minor. Do you know what Asia Minor is? They basically, they surround the center of the earthquake and the warning that the lampstand would be removed and churches that didn't remain faithful after the warning and the lampstand was removed and the darkness of Islam came in. And 1,500 years, 1,400 years after that, tens of thousands perished in one fell swoop. And many still death, death abounds. Not just the death in which they left this world because they left suddenly, but being a descendant of Adam, as we've been hearing, uh, is 
a pandemic with a 100% mortality rate. We will all die. And we all came into this world spiritually dead. That's the great thing. Because there are so many around us who are dead in their sins and they will die. And if they do not receive the first resurrection before they receive the first death, then they will suffer the second death as well. Verse 17, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more. There's another one of those much mores. Much more. Those who receive abundance. There's another instance of that word abundance. Much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Those who receive the things that we saw in verse 15, the abundance of grace in Jesus Christ. And the thing that we saw in verse 16, the gift of righteousness, of justification in Jesus Christ. But we're still not to the object of the much more. Much more will those who receive those things reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Death reigned and it still does. But those who receive, who are in Christ receive an abundance of grace and an abundance of righteousness. They receive spiritual resurrection at the moment of their new birth and death no longer reigns over their souls. They receive perfection and completion of their sanctification at death. Sin already does not reign over the Christian, but it will no longer exist for the Christian. In the moment that he dies. Aren't you Christian? Aren't you eager for your death in some measure? Not that you should seek it. Not that you should long to be done with your service to the Lord in this world. It is is beneficial for the church that you are still here. Or you wouldn't be here. And so you being immortal until your work is done, you're, you're not longing to be done with your service to Christ in this world. The, those things that you get to do, uh, trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins, forgiving others, uh, depending upon him in weakness, suffering patiently, things that will never happen again. When you're done with sinning and when you're done with sinners and when you're done with suffering. But aren't you eager? To be done with sin. And so in Christ, you see how the reign of death has been obliterated. Because when you believed in Jesus Christ, you found that you were alive in him and that the spirit who gave you life in order that you would believe came and dwelt in you and began working the life of Christ out in you. So that it was no longer even you who lived, but Christ who lives in you. And the life that you live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave himself for you. Death reigned through Adam, but death is death is done in Christ. He turns the moment of our new birth into a spiritual resurrection. He turns the moment of our death into the completion of our sanctification. And at the moment of his return, we'll have physical resurrection as well, won't we? Truly, death 
O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The one in whom you have received abundance of grace, verse 15, and abundance of righteousness, verse 16, has completely conquered death. In all these things, he'll say, in a few chapters' time, we are super conquerors. To use similar language with conquering uh, as he uses with the grace abounding in verse 20 of this chapter. And so, Christ's, in Christ, life reigns infinitely more abundantly than death reigns in Adam. Except that's not what the verse says, is it? Because the verse doesn't say death reigned on the one hand and life reigns on the other hand. What does it say reigns? It's a what question with a who answer, and this time the who isn't Jesus, although he does definitely reign. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. We reign. We reign by living by faith in Him. We reign by dominating our sin. He's going to say that in the next chapter. Sin is no longer master over you. Offer your bodies as slaves to God. Offer the members of yourself, and it's not just your bodies, it's all of who you are, every aspect of who you are, as slaves to God for righteousness. Sin is not your master. Death is not your master. Satan can no longer hold you in bondage through the fear of death. That's what Hebrews talks about when it talks about Jesus destroying the power of him who had the power of death. It talks about Satan using the fear of death. But we just heard that our death is no longer something to be afraid of. In many respects, it's something to be desired. To be done with sin and go into the immediate presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that my body, my soul would be unclothed by my body, but that it would be further clothed by Christ with the hope and guarantee of a resurrected body later. It's we who reign. And the infinite abounding of Christ's life in which we reign is actually shown in our sanctification. As we more and more die unto sin, as we more and more live unto righteousness and live unto God in righteousness, we show forth the infinity of the life of Jesus. Think about him who has so loved you and displayed his glory not only in the last day by the fury that he pours out on sinners, but on the day of his crucifixion by the fury that he endured for sinners. Shall you not display the glory of his life, the glory of his love by killing your sin? Is there any sin in any of our lives that is worth not showing the kingship of Jesus and his victory over death? 
Start reigning and living by rejoicing in God. Outwardly, we are still wasting away. I'm never going to get to dunk a basketball. Well, a full-size basketball. And the ship has long sailed probably on anything approaching. There's just no amount of youth you can regain, even if you regain all of your health. Outwardly, we are wasting away. You young people, by which I mean anyone under 28, you don't know it yet. But you have been dying since you were born. And pretty soon your mind will go, don't waste your mind. Use it. Use all of the neoplasticity that my son likes to talk about. Use all of your ability to learn things quickly that you still have to learn as much as you can of God and his word and his world that you may be useful in it as well. Your strength is going to go. Use what strength you have now for your Savior. Conquer conquer sin, conquer death in the life of Jesus Christ. There's infinite life in him. You will never run out of the resources by which to kill sin and live unto God. Outwardly, we are wasting away from the first Adam. But if we have Jesus Christ by faith and his spirit is applying him to us, inwardly, we will be renewed day by day. And we can begin to enjoy eternal life already. Isn't that what he was describing at the beginning of the chapter? Rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoicing in God himself. You see, when you consider what Adam did and what happened to mankind, if you consider that just by itself, you think that was an unimaginably significant event, an unimaginably great using the word to talk about quantity, not quality, event. But then you take the first Adam and what he did and what happened through him and put it next to the last Adam, our Lord Jesus, and what he did and what has come to us through him. How great is your Savior, Infinitely, abundantly, unimaginably great is your Savior and the benefits that you receive in him. How small Adam looks next to the last Adam. He's a type of the one who is to come, but not like, because Jesus much more abounds.